Good morning. I bring you greetings from the newly formed Baptist House of Studies at Union Presbyterian Seminary. The BHS at UPSIM, as we fondly call it, has come about through a partnership between CBF Virginia, CBF Global, and Union Presbyterian Seminary. It was created to fill the void in Baptist theological education, which came about when BTSR closed in 2019. Our Baptist students in Virginia can now receive an outstanding theological education on a beautiful campus in the heart of historical Ginner Park in Richmond. We currently have 25 Baptist students who are thrilled to have this option presented to them and who are excited to begin taking their Baptist classes in the fall. If you have any questions or would like to learn more, I'll gladly share my enthusiasm for this amazing new venture with you after the service. Just come ask and I'll be happy to tell you more. In the meantime, I'm excited to be with you today and I'm thankful for Kristen's invitation to come share with you this morning during this time of worship. A few years ago, an interesting email came my way. It was titled, Weird Little Things You Don't Really Need to Know. As I read through the list, a few of these odd little things caught my eye and they've stuck with me through the years. Did you know that Walt Disney was actually afraid of mice? Mm -hmm. Or duck's quack doesn't echo and no one really understands why. Donkeys actually kill more people annually than plane crashes. And American car horns beep in the tone of F. One of the most fascinating to me is American Airlines saved $40,000 in 1987 just by eliminating one olive from every salad they served in first class. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you might be interested to know that between the ages of 30 and 70, your nose might still grow half an inch. Between the black stripes on a zebra and the white stripes, there's a yellowish brown stripe. And between Christmas and Valentine's Day, 50% of all singles consider changing their relationship status. This word between is used to indicate a middle point, a place that's halfway, a state that's transitional. We all know people who are between jobs, ministers who are between churches, and friends who are between relationships. Well, as the scene opens on our scripture passage this morning, we find a handful of the disciples also in a between place. For they, like us, were on a spiritual journey, one that has had a beginning but has not yet reached its end. And as we've all experienced on most journeys, there are struggles to be found in the midst of the pilgrimage. As we peek in on the story, we find that seven of the disciples have traveled from Jerusalem back to the Sea of Galilee. In the chapters from John that lead up to this, the Easter story has unfolded, and Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, to 10 of his disciples in a locked room, and again, one week later, to Thomas, who was with the disciples still in that room that was locked. As chapter 20 comes to a close, the author of John tells us that Jesus did many other miraculous signs which were not recorded in this book. 
but the ones that were written were so that we may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing this, we may have life in his name. That sounds like the perfect closing to a book, doesn't it? A conclusion sentence that summarizes the main idea of what the author John wants us to know about Jesus. If we were watching the Gospel of John as a movie, we might think it was finished. Thus, we would start to gather our belongings as the credits were beginning to roll, only to realize there's a post-credit scene, commonly referred to as a credit cookie, a delightful addition we were not anticipating. Our scripture passage this morning reminds me of this very thing. Just as we think the author of John has wrapped up the story in a nice conclusion, encouraging us to believe Jesus is indeed the true Son of God who gives us life eternal, suddenly there is an epilogue. As the scene opens on this passage, Peter, Thomas, James, John, and three other disciples are back in Galilee, where Peter proclaims he is going fishing. His friends eagerly respond by saying they will go with them, and thus they embark in the boat. Now to us, this may seem like an odd thing to do. Seriously, Peter? Going fishing? After you've seen the empty tomb and have talked with the risen Christ? Isn't there something more important that's related to kingdom work you should be doing? Yet if we stop to think about it, the disciples must be exhausted, both mentally and physically. The last week of Jesus's life had to be overwhelming for them. Reverend Gary Jones, the previous rector at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Richmond, describes it like this. The tension-filled emotional high of their entry into Jerusalem was followed by extraordinary events in the temple, a Passover meal unlike any other, an intense experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, an unexpected betrayal, an armed arrest, a series of denials, a mock trial, a jeering mob, and a bloody execution, all within a matter of days. Surely in the hours following Jesus' death, the disciples were overwhelmed, crushed, and numb. After all, the human spirit can take only so much. Then came the events that brought an emotional overload of another sort altogether. News of an empty tomb, and resurrection appearances that had to be seen to be believed. These events would overwhelm and change the lives of the disciples forever. And so maybe it does make sense that the disciples would drop everything and return home to the familiar. After all, when we are stressed, we also seek comfort through familiar activities like gardening, eating chocolate, shopping, watching television, just to list a few of my favorites. It doesn't seem so far-fetched that the disciples, after the traumatic week they had experienced, would just want to return home to a simple life, to go back to what they had done before in an effort to gain their bearings and retreat to a place where they felt safe. And so they push out into the Sea of Galilee as night is falling and they let down their nets to fish. As morning dawns, however, their nets are empty, and a man who is standing on the shore calls out to them, 
friends, you haven't caught any fish? Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and there you will find some. When I read this, it makes me wonder how the disciples felt. Were they discouraged? They had to be hungry and tired. Were they frustrated that a stranger was trying to tell them how to fish? After all, they were the professional fishermen. Were they confused as to how this man would know they hadn't caught anything? Regardless of what they may have been thinking, the disciples take his advice and they throw the net to the other side. Almost instantly, the net is so heavy and full with fish that the disciples cannot pull it back into the boat. Can you imagine? I wonder if Peter, James, and John immediately remembered when this same miracle had happened to them before. It was when they were also in a boat, just like this, fishing, when Jesus had called them to be his disciples after another miraculous catch. If they did remember, I wonder if they could grasp the irony of the situation, that they were still being called to be catchers of men at this very time in their journey, like Jesus had called them before. And just as importantly, I wonder if they remembered Jesus' words when they were being called. Do not be afraid. Four very powerful words to disciples who had been hiding days before, afraid of the Jews. As soon as the net was full, the scripture tells us John recognized Jesus on the shore, and he said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's so interesting to me that all seven of the disciples see Jesus, but only one recognizes him, John. The disciple who had been reclining beside Jesus at the Last Supper. So close, the scripture tells us, that John had leaned back against Jesus as they were talking that night. Do you think having that kind of close relationship with Jesus had anything to do with John's ability to recognize him on the beach that morning? To have a suddenly I see moment and if so, I wonder what the implications are for us as we are seeking to see through new eyes this Easter season. Could spending time with Jesus in daily prayer, contemplation, and Bible study be the key to recognizing Jesus in our lives and ordinary routines? And likewise, could our busyness and the need to remain productive to the point that we neglect our quiet time with God keep us from recognizing the presence of the Lord in our lives. Reverend Gary Jones believes that spending this daily time with the Lord sharpens our spiritual vision and helps us to see more clearly the nurturing presence of Jesus, even in the most routine and familiar circumstances in our ever busy lives. So maybe an important way for us to work towards seeing through new eyes this week is to make our daily walk with Jesus a top priority so we, like John, can recognize God at work among us. I know for the disciples, finally being able to recognize that the risen Lord had come to be with them again must have been paramount. For Peter was so excited, he jumped into the water and swam to the shore ahead of the boat to meet him. When the disciples finally arrived towing all those fish they found a fire burning on the beach with fish already cooking 
and bread prepared to be eaten. They discovered that the resurrected Jesus was there waiting to serve and to nourish them, to meet them where they were in their grief, and to remind him that he was still present in their lives. Do you think the disciples were also reminded in that moment of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the fish and the loaves? Or Jesus feeding them during their last supper before his crucifixion? And what about us this morning? Are we reminded when we hear the story that the disciples never catch any fish in the Gospels without the help of Jesus? Or that no one seems to recognize the risen Christ at first in any of the resurrection stories, leading us to ponder how often we recognize or don't recognize Christ's work in our own lives. Thomas Troger, professor of Christian communication at Yale Divinity, hopes that as we read this powerful epilogue in the Gospel of John, we will be reminded that we should not reduce Christ and the wonders of his ministry to a story that takes place in the past, as the disciples might have been tempted to do when Jesus was no longer with them. For this epilogue affirms what the prologue of John also affirms as the story of Christ's early ministry begins. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. For when the disciples recognized and cast their eyes upon Jesus on the shore, they looked death in the eye and realized it was not victorious, for Jesus was very much alive and with them. The night with no fish had passed, and a new day with all of its miracles was dawning. Friends, the risen Christ is still very much alive today, and he still calls, feeds, and empowers us. Everything John has shown us continues past the last scene in his book, into the present moment and beyond. Let us look and see through new eyes all that Christ would have us to see, to join in the Easter work he is still doing in our world. Praise be to God. Amen.